Well, if you have your copy of Scripture, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at just the first 14 verses this morning. And this will be the first part of two-part series on this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And before we do, let's commit the preaching and the hearing of God's word to the Lord in prayer this morning. Let's bow together and call on our God that he would give power and grace, that he would give wisdom, that his spirit would be present with us as his word is proclaimed. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have drawn us together again, another Lord's Day, to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus Christ, to celebrate the fulfillment of all things, to celebrate your faithfulness, your redemptive grace and power. And so, Father, we ask you as children crying out to their earthly fathers that you would give us what is best for our souls, that you would give us what we need the most. We need you to speak Lord Jesus, we need you to exercise your office as the great prophet of your church. We pray that your voice would be heard loudly and clearly. We pray that you would give both the one that preaches and those that hear grace this morning. We pray, Lord, that your power would be made perfect in our weakness. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be present with us, that we would know your nearness, that we would know you are in this place and that we would fall on our faces and worship you. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, there the Apostle Paul writes these words, now concerning spiritual gifts, and that may be actually translated spiritual people, it's unclear in the Greek, now concerning spiritual gifts or people, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray with mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There is a really wonderful scene in the documentary, March of the Penguins, where uh, as the winter comes bearing down on the penguins and the cameramen are out there tracing the whole year of these penguins and all of their developments and all of their um, interactions, you see this amazing scene where all the penguins come together and as the 130 
uh, below degree weather breaks in and the penguins are fighting to survive and the penguins are fighting to see the baby penguins sur survive, something amazing happens. The mother penguins all take off for the ocean and they all go, get, go to get food and it's going to take them months to go and get that food. And while they're gone, right in the, the most blistering part of the winter, the male penguins gather together and they huddle together and all the males take turns moving around to keep the young baby penguins warm. And in the process, if one of the penguins, uh, one of the male penguins fails to take his place and to do his part, and you see in this documentary how that happens, it causes the death of one of the baby penguins. And if the mother fails to come back with the food, the penguins will die. And what you see in this beautiful picture, it's one of the most amazing pictures in nature, is that every member must play their part in that body, in that collective group. And if they don't, the other members suffer because of it. And it doesn't matter how hard it is, and it doesn't matter that they have different roles. If one of the members decided, I don't want to be in this big huddle, if one of the males said, I don't want to stay here, and I don't want to huddle around the baby penguin, I want to go, and I want to do what the female penguin gets, because she has a much easier, less cold, less severe winter to endure, the whole body would suffer. And I think it's an amazing natural picture of what Paul is actually saying here in 1 Corinthians amidst all the divisions that the Corinthians had. One of the new divisions that we're now faced with was a division over spiritual gifts. Some people had gifts of tongue and they were flaunting these gifts of tongues and they were, they were in a sense, elevating them above the gifts that the other members had. And, and it seems that to the best of our understanding that there was this elevation of these gifts and then there was a reaction and other people that didn't like the tongue speakers said, no, we forbid tongue speaking in the church. Let's just forbid it altogether and then we won't have this problem of these people saying they're the most important, their gifts are the best, our gifts are second class, second tier, and Paul comes in and Paul gives them a theology of spiritual gifts, diversity in the body, and how the unity of the church grows by the Holy Spirit working those gifts out, each member diversely carrying their weight, fulfilling their gifts, and ministering to the body who is the body of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to see three things here in 1 Corinthians 12. First, we're going to see that it's the Spirit of Christ who makes spiritual people. And then second, we're going to see that it's the Spirit of Christ who gives spiritual gifts. And then thirdly, we're going to find that it's the Spirit of Christ that gives diversity for unity in the body. There you'll see in verse 1 where Paul now enters in on this uh, very different subject from what he's been dealing with. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I mentioned at the reading that this could be taken spiritual people, that the Corinthians most likely wrote Paul and said, Paul, we have these people here that think that they're more spiritual, that their gifts make them more spiritual, that somehow the gifts they have verify them as more spiritually minded than the other people in the body. And so Paul doesn't actually come. Let me say this at the outset. Paul is not telling the church to do anything in these 14 verses. Paul's not telling the church to do anything. There's no command, no imperative. He's not, go find out what your spiritual gift is. He doesn't say that. He's giving them a theology of spirituality. And he's telling them that it's the spirit of Jesus Christ who makes spiritual men and women. And that if you're indwelt by the spirit of Jesus, you are a spiritual person. That spiritual people are not spiritual people because of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives them. They're spiritual people because they're indwelt by the spirit of Jesus. Paul will say elsewhere, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not of him. And so 
the mark of a Christian is that a Christian is one when they were born of God, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were indwelt by the third person of the Godhead, that every member of the Godhead is at work in our redemption and that the Spirit seals us and the Spirit moves in us and the Spirit convicts us and the Spirit grants repentance and the Spirit takes the work of Jesus and applies it to our hearts and the Holy Spirit comes and bears fruit in us and to top it off, the cherry on top, he gives members of the body certain special spiritual gifts for the ministering one to another in the body. And so Paul is telling them, listen, the first thing you need to know is not which gift is more important or not what I ought to be thinking about my special gifts, but he tells them, here's what a spiritual person is, one who has the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led, And then he says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God can ever say Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. These are two very difficult verses. They're very difficult to understand how they fit into the context of spiritual gifts. Let me give it a shot. I think, verse 2, Paul is basically saying, remember what you were when you were unspiritual people. You served idols that can't see and hear. You served ambitions that can't satisfy you can't fulfill your needs, can't provide for you. You made gods of yourself. You serve dumb and deaf and blind idols, things that don't exist, and you were spiritually dumb and deaf and blind. And I think Paul is reminding them what they were because Paul's going to tell them what they are now. And he's saying, look, when you were in that world, you experienced things in that world that ought to remind you of what you are now that you're in Christ. And there ought to be this stark contrast. You know, it's a very helpful thing if you don't do this, to sit back as you go through your life and stop and think about what you were before Christ redeemed you. It's one of the most helpful things to me in my spiritual journey. If I'm struggling with sin, if I'm struggling with doubts or fears or lack of assurance, if I'm struggling with a desire for more power in my life, and, and Satan comes in and he's accusing and he's saying, you would never do that if you were a Christian. And Satan's there speaking into your ear. One of the most helpful things to do is to remember what you were. And I think Paul's doing that. He's telling people that had been redeemed by Jesus, filled with the spirit. At one time, you served dumb idols. They couldn't do anything for you. They couldn't give you anything. And in fact, I think in verse 3, there's an allusion to what kind of things they said. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. At the, at the brink of my rebellion, I was with a number of friends on a trip once. I was probably 21 years old. And I remember sitting at the table and, and saying Jesus Christ as a curse word over and over and over in our conversation. So much so that my friends who were drug dealers, vastly more rebellious than probably any of you in this room had been, looked at me and said, bro, that ain't right. Now, I think when Paul says to them, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. He's reminding them of the way they spoke about Jesus. This, these people would have heard about the gospel spreading across the known world then. And they would have said, this Jesus, Jesus Christ, this Jesus And they would have spoken harshly about him. And what Paul's saying is now that you're in Christ, you don't do that anymore. You're spiritual people. You love Jesus. In fact, notice what you say. You say Jesus is Lord. That's a huge statement in a world that Caesar runs. In a world run by Caesar, where Caesar is Lord, to say Jesus is Lord at the risk of losing everything. Your little house, your little job, 
your family, we have no idea what it would cost first century Christians to say Jesus is Lord. And Paul's saying, listen, a spiritual person who's indwelt by the Spirit doesn't speak demeaningly of Jesus like they used to. They now speak of him in the highest and most exalted way that they can speak of him. Think about that stark contrast. I remember sitting at that table, taking my Savior's name in vain, and now I proclaim him every Lord's Day because he is Lord. Because he is Lord. And Paul's saying spiritual people, spiritual people, they see those marks in their life. So before ever talking about spiritual gifts, the question is, are you a spiritual person? Are you indwelt by the Spirit? When you think about Jesus, do you think about him with a loving and a longing heart? Do you think about the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ? Do you think about the sweet sound? I love, I love the hymn, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, in all believers' ears. It soothes his sorrows, calms his, fe- calms his nerves, and drives away his fears. And uh, the believer, the believer thinks about the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that the world could never think about him. And at the end of the day, knowing Jesus and being in Jesus and being filled with the spirit of Jesus is what makes spiritual people, not the gifts that you have. That's a very secondary issue. You know, a lot of people approach 1 Corinthians 12 thinking it's all about a theology of gifts and what gifts do I have and can we take a spiritual gift aptitude test and, and, and find out where I am? And that's fine. There's a place for that. I don't want to put that down. There's a place for that. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's saying spiritual people are people who know Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, think of him with reverence and respect and awe and speak of him as he ought to be spoken of. And they are, they are people indwelt by the spirit of Jesus. They say Jesus is Lord in the Holy Spirit. Well, secondly, Paul does tell us that it's the spirit of Christ who gives spiritual gifts. And notice there in verses 4 through 11, that Paul will list off this list of gifts. And maybe if you've read this, you thought, well, I don't know. I mean, are we going to be charismatic today? Are we, are we now a charismatic church? Should we be looking for these things? I think the easiest way to answer that, that question is that it was evident that these gifts were at work in the first century church. Nobody was asking whether we should be cessationist, whether we believed that the gifts ceased. Nobody was asking whether the gifts existed. They were there in the apostolic age. They were evident to everybody. So much so that they were being abused. We're going to find out later that the Corinthians were abusing these gifts and Paul has to set the house in order. He has to say, no, when you use these gifts, they need to be used properly for the right reasons, right motives. They have to be used in the right order. And so there was no question that these gifts existed. Now, I think it's helpful for us to realize that God still gives spiritual gifts by way of analogy. And if you look at this list in verses 4 through 11, what you really see is you see sort of an array of three categories of spiritual gifts. And this is very important. Notice that he says there's a variety of services and the same Lord, a variety of activities, the same God. And then notice there in verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, I think the easiest way to think about all these gifts are three categories. And the three categories fall under prophet, priest, and king. And all of these gifts that Paul mentions here belong to Jesus. Jesus had the gift of prophecy, knowledge, utterance, wisdom, healing, power, interpretation, the telling of spirits. Jesus had all of it. It's all his. 
The first thing to understand is that Jesus Christ has all of that in him. And that these gifts are distributions of the gifts that he possesses in himself. And he is prophet, priest, and king. And so if you went to categorize these, I think you could say, where would revelation and knowledge and utterance fall? Well, that's prophetic. That's a prophetic gift. Those are gifts in which the word of God is being divinely interpreted and promoted to the people of God. Even the Puritans would talk about ministers having the gift of prophecy. William Perkins wrote, Uh, the art of prophesying, that when a minister gets up and rightly unpacks God's word and proclaims the gospel, he is prophesying. The Holy Spirit is prophesying through him, not new revelation, but what revelation he's already given. So that would fall under kingly and then under prophetic. And kingly would be working of miracles and powers, things that would make you kingly, that a king can command and order and a king can decree and will and things happen that we just did the first miracle of Jesus at wedding, uh, the wedding at Cana of Galilee on Wednesday night. And the kingly power of Jesus is seen in that he doesn't speak a word or touch the water made wine. He just wills it. He just wills it. First miracle. Jesus doesn't do anything. He just wills it. It turns to wine. That's kingly power. And then priestly healing and compassion coming alongside people. These miracles that were more priestly, more sympathetic, more parakleo, coming alongside and loving. And so you see how each of these get distributed. Now, let me say this. All of you, if you're in Jesus, are prophets, priests, and kings. The Bible is very clear. He has made us kings and priests to our God. All of us have a role to be kingly for Jesus, to be prophetic for Jesus, to be priestly for Jesus. All of us have that responsibility. All of us have been made that. But then there are heightened gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to different individuals so that not everybody is prophetic. Not everybody is going to be a teacher in the church. Not everybody is compassionate and merciful. Not everybody has that extreme mercy side to them. Some congregations you see, and I think in the reform world, we do want to so emphasize the prophetic that maybe we weigh too heavily on that. And then in, in some of the broader churches, they're so heavy on mercy ministry, and all the members seem to want to get on board with that. And what Paul seems to be saying is God distributes differently to different people these gifts. The Holy Spirit comes, and he empowers his people so that everybody's gifts are necessary and that there's a, a, an array of spiritual gifts. Now, let me say what we do with this often. There's some dangers. Um, I think oftentimes we have a tendency to, to um, put on a pedestal one gift, and then what we can have a tendency to do is say, well, I'm not as gifted as that person at that, and so I've got to spend all my energy and time trying to be as gifted as that person. Or we sort of adopt a defeatist attitude, and we see this guy has this gift, or this woman has this gift, and I don't have that gift, and so why even try, and I'm just going to give up. Or we have a sense of elevating our own gift. We see that God's given us a gift, and so we elevate that gift, and we say everybody should be as zealous as I am. Everyone should be as evangelistic as I am. Everyone should be doing what I have the gifts and ability to do. And when we, when we fall into those errors, what we're doing is we're saying the Holy Spirit has not distributed differently to Christians, according to his will, different gifts. And, and what we're, we're going to have is an imbalanced church. We have an imbalanced church. Remember the penguin illustration again. Had, had all the males wanted to go with the females to get food, all the baby penguins would have died. Had the females abdicated their responsibility and not gotten the food, 
the males, the females, and the babies would have died. You see, all the gifts are necessary in the life of the church. I had a conversation with a brother recently and was reminded how this plays out in our lives. And I've been mentoring this guy um, quite a bit over the last year or so. And I, I said to him, you know, I need your prayers. I need your support. He said, I will be a Timothy to you. You know, Moses needed Aaron and her. We need each other. We need each other. We need the gifts that God has given to the different members in his church. Those gifts are important. What if Jesus, remember I said all these gifts were in the Lord Jesus Christ. What if he had only said, you know, I've only come to be king. I'm only going to heal people. I'm not going to teach anything. And I'm not going to lay down my life as a sacrifice as a priest. You don't get, you don't get redemption. What if he says, I'm only going to lay down my life and take it again, but I'm not going to teach anybody or heal anybody. We wouldn't know that that was the Messiah. What if he said, I'm only going to do a prophetic ministry and that's all I'm going to do. Word, 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 word. That's all I'm going to do. Nobody gets healed and nobody gets saved. You see, all of those gifts are necessary for the well-being of the people of God. All of those gifts are necessary. Thirdly, thirdly, It's the spirit of Christ working the diversity of gifts for unity in the body. Now, you might think that Paul is saying here, you might think Paul is saying here that we need to strive for unity, but he's not. He's saying we need to strive for diversity. Notice, notice this. He says, for just as the body is one, he takes for granted that the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jew, Greek, slave, free. All were made to drink of one spirit for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. You see what Paul's doing. Paul's not calling for unity. He's not saying get unified. He's saying get diversified. And then the unity will come. Learn to fit in where God wants you to minister in the body. You know, if you come to church and you say, yeah, this is great, I like being here, but you know what, I'm not going to make any effort to reach out to people and use the gifts God's given me, you are burying your talent in the ground. And on Judgment Day, God is not going to be happy. I promise you that. On Judgment Day, if you take the gifts God has given you and bury them in the ground, God will not be happy. He will rebuke you. Jesus was very severe in what he said to the man that buried his talent in the ground. And so the Lord Jesus Christ has given these things so that we embrace that we're all different. We're different people at different levels with different gifting. And we're to learn to love one another and serve. Now, what if I said, you know what? I only like about 10 of you that much in here. So I'm just going to preach to 10 of you. (laughs) Well, you're not going to profit very much if I do that. And I'm going to fail. And I'm not going to benefit from loving you and knowing you and receiving your ministry to me and, and that reciprocating that God has in the body. We need every member. We need every member. And notice what Paul says there in verse 13. He says, In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, All were made to drink of one spirit. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying this teaching about spiritual gifts and the work of the spirit in diverse gifts in the life of the church moves beyond just spiritual gifts into ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses. Do you see that in verse 13? Jews and Greeks, slaves are free. You don't have diversity in your church. You only have one group of people, all same social status, all same ethnicity, all the same, all the same, all the same. You fail to reflect what God is doing. 
God is gathering a people that shouldn't be gathered together, giving them gifts to minister to one another, people that should have hated each other, Jews and Greeks, coming together and ministering to one another. Imagine, imagine, not a church united for unity's sake, but a church united in the diversity of the operations of the Holy Spirit in a diverse group of people for the glory of Jesus Christ. A solid, biblical, spirit-wrought, spirit-filled assembly. Now let me say this. There is nothing you can do to make that happen other than cry out to God that he would send his spirit, that we would understand the way his spirit works, that we would know a greater measure of the Holy Spirit, that we would long to then use the gifts that the Spirit's working in us to minister to one another. We are so selfish. We are so selfish. We are. We don't want to serve. We want to be served. We don't want to, we don't want to cry out for more. We don't want to press into the kingdom. We don't want to cry out that God would do a greater work of redemption. We don't. Now, let me end on an encouraging note. You are spiritual people. You're spiritual people. You are people, we are people who say Jesus is the Lord. We are people who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. We are people who belong to him. Notice what Paul actually calls you in verse 12. He says, as all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We are so united to Jesus Christ by the Spirit that the name of Christ is applied to us, his members, so that when Saul was on the Damascus road and Jesus met him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul could understand more of that union with Jesus Christ, that he is the one whose name is on you. His name is on you. This is his church. It's his spirit. You're his people. They're his gifts. All of it comes from him to you. It's nothing that we have within. Now, I will say this. I do think God has a tendency to work spiritual gifts in his people who have natural gifts. And it's pretty natural that men that like to talk and God gets a hold of their hearts and are good at communicating naturally become preachers. That's, that's understandable. It's natural that there are kind and compassionate people as unbelievers and God gets a hold of their hearts and they use that compassion and kindness in ministering and advancing the gospel and sharing with gospel ministry. It's natural that God seems to reach in and multiply. You see it in Paul and Peter, don't you? Type A personalities, driven, zealous. No wonder they become the two great apostles to the Jews and the Gentiles. God works through personalities. Now, there is a danger. There's a danger, I'll say, as we close. As we seek to minister our gifts in the body, we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we're not ministering in our own natural abilities, our own natural gifts. And I think what happens is when we try to do that, we fail to minister and we start to dominate. Or we start to tell others, we need to be doing this. We need to be doing this. I am guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. And we need to start depending in prayer on the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? When you go to minister, when you go to a meeting, when you go to a church meeting, when you meet with somebody, stop in your car and just say, Lord, give me the words to say. Make me to be a listener. Give me the grace to minister, to speak into the situation as I need to, to know how to minister to this person effectively. Take one second, throw up one of those little Puritan dagger prayers. And you know what I found when you do that? God loves answering those little prayers. 
and you leave and you see how the Lord has guided and directed and you walk away and you say, that was amazing. I never thought that meeting would go that well. When we fail to do that and we lead with natural giftedness, we're less compassionate, less understanding, and we end up not ministering to people in the body. Now, all of this is yours if you're in Christ. All those gifts have been given freely to us. Jesus died to purchase the Holy Spirit. When he hung on the cross, he purchased the Spirit for us. The third person of the Godhead was purchased for you. You are sealed with him. He has also given you gifts. Pray. Pray that you will know more of the grace of the Lord Jesus, more of the gifts he's given you, and that you'll more effectively seek to use them for the well-being of the whole body. The whole body. Let's think like that together as a congregation. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are weak and needy, that we fail to cherish the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of your Spirit. We acknowledge that we fail, our Father, to pray for greater manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit in our own lives, that we might minister more effectively to your people. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us a greater love for your body, for every member that we would love and care for dearly, every member of this body and every member that belongs to you and that we would seek to minister in the strength and the power and the gifting that your spirit gives. Father, give us a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You tell us in your word that you did not give the spirit to Jesus with measure, but you give him to us with measure. And so increase the measure by which we are led and guided and filled and empowered and equipped for service in your church. Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us and made us spiritually minded. We thank you that we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.